Hello and welcome. We are trying something new with doing Bible study through the internet since we're all socially isolated and I know I still want a way to dig into the word and I sure miss um, Bible studies with you all. So we're just going to do it this way and see how that works. I want to first say who I am. Um, my name is Amy Clarkson. I live in a small town in Kansas, and I am by no means a biblical scholar or expert. So please know this is just me looking stuff up. I use Bible Hub. It's one of my favorite websites and uh, the Bible. And so if you'd like to join along, uh, we're going to be doing First John and the format that I like to do is to read a few verses and then just jump in, um, think about what the scripture is saying, think about the cultural context, think about the meaning of the words, and just see what comes to light. So first of all, First uh, John, it is written by the apostle John, the disciple, and we know that just because of the phraseology that he uses. There's a lot of phrases that he uses in this and then the Gospel of John that make us pretty sure it's the same author. Um, experts think this was written from Ephesus, his letter, around 92 AD. And that's important to note because Revelation, which was his last written word, was in about 95 AD. And we know at that point that John was very old like 93 or 94. So he would have written First John when he was 90. And I say that because this is a man now writing at the end of his life with all of the wisdom and experiences that he has now acquired throughout his life. Okay, let's jump in. I'm gonna be reading just the first verse to start with, the First John, and I'm reading from the NIV. First one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation, too. It says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. I guess my first question then um, to you is what are you noticing with this first verse in terms of all of the descriptive words that John's using for his way that he's experiencing the word of life? What do you notice? We have hearing, right? That's what we have heard, which we've seen and what we've touched. So of the five senses, we were already hitting on three, heard, seen, and touched. And, and that's a pretty big deal. Um, so much of what John is trying to say is that it's an all-encompassing thing, that he's he has been with this word of life. And that's what he's saying, that we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now, what is that word of life? We know that John likes to talk about uh, Christ in terms of the word. When you go back to the gospel, chapter one of John's gospel, how does that start? The gospel of John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He's talking about Christ, right? That word in the Greek is logos, and it's often used for Christ. So in 1 John, when he's talking about what he has seen, touched, 
and heard from. He's talking about Christ. And Christ is not just Logos here. He is the Logos of life or Zoe, which is a physical and spiritual thing. Don't miss here that first line, that which was from the beginning. Um, that's, again, in the Gospel of John. What does he say? In the beginning was the word. So he's using that same idea. This is meaning in the beginning of like before, before. Um, the word in the Greek is arche or archie, and it, it means what comes first. And so, therefore, we've got something that is priority. It's the absolute first. And he is saying that this thing, Christ, um, who and God, who are all the same, was even before all. But now, let's go to verse 2, because then what happened? So verse 2 says this, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So here, he's summing it all up, right? He is saying um, that, and some of your versions may use the word, was manifested, the life was manifest. Mine says appeared. But that idea that manifesting is to make clear and visible. It actually comes from the Greek word phaneru, which comes from the word phos, which we're going to talk about later, which is from the word light or to illumine. So this idea that Christ became visible, that word logos became visible, and not only something that John could see, but he interacted with, he touched, he heard from. So basically he's declaring to all of us and to his audience that this eternal being became incarnate so that he could be seen and known. And John is saying he has been seen and known by us. And so what, what does that mean? So we go to verse 3. There's a reason for all of this. He says, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. That's verse 4. So there's a reason he's starting this whole thing off. He, he's saying, you can trust me. You can trust us. We have interacted with the logos of life. But he's also wanting to proclaim this. That word proclaim, apagello, is to announce or report or proclaim. There's a reason he is putting this out into the public and not just hiding it for himself. And it's because he wants to have fellowship with us and i would include us in this that word fellowship koninonia please by the way my greek is not i have no background in that so i know i'm just messing all of this up but i'm just trying um but that word uh koninonia is is this idea of partnership and community it's participating together and it's intimate and um there's a reason why information and a shared kind of uh, reporting or proclamation like this leads to fellowship. Can you think of a time when um, you have been either friends or in a relationship with someone that has a completely different, whether uh, understanding of, of, of spirituality, maybe um, uh, maybe uh, a philosophy of life or worldview, do you ever notice that no matter how close you can become, that there is certain insurmountable things that make 
um, true community partnership almost impossible if they're that different. Have you ever noticed that? I, I've had some really great friendships with people who would say, I have no faith. They would, they would declare that, and that did not stop any sort of friendship with them. However, there was always this area that is so huge in my life, my faith, that I could not connect with them. I could not fellowship in that aspect, which led to a limit to how deep that partnership or fellowship could go. And I think John understands this as well. He has experienced this deepening uh, interaction with the logos of life, with the word of life, and to be able to have pure and true and and, and joyful fellowship with others. He's wanting... uh, us to understand and to experience that too so that we can have that fellowship let's move on to verse five now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you god is light in him there is no darkness at all okay i gotta stop just right here because this is uh, paramount to what john is trying to say so again it's the the This declaring to us is the same word that was just used above. It's that announcement or report or proclamation. And it is this that he's wanting us to know, that God is light. Uh, That word in Greek is phos, um, and it means to shine by rays of fire or light. So picture that. I love that image of God being this, this something that is so bright that it's, um, we can't even keep our eyes on. He is light itself. And then he adds, not really as an afterthought, but he says, in him there is no darkness at all. Um, We might think that that is redundant because how can light exist with darkness? But this word darkness, scotia, means obscurity or dimness, and it's specifically related to moral or spiritual obscurity or dimness and I point that out because so often I think we in our faith sometimes think that the idea of darkness itself is always evil so if I were to ask you is there ever a good darkness what would you say and stretch yourself here Now, if you think of darkness only as evil, then you could say, no, there's no good evilness, as in um, this kind of moral or spiritual depravity. However, when the moon is not full and has waned completely, is there not a beauty in that darkness? Has there been ever a time in the darkness of uh, life that you can actually look back and say that it was a good thing that through that period of stillness or rest or even morose uh, sadness that goodness came so it's important here to know that when we're talking about that God is light and in him there is no darkness we're not talking about melancholy or again um the, the darkness of a, a night when the moon is has 
is not present. We're talking about true moral or spiritual um, kind of depravity. And that's important to point out because of this next verse. Look at verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by truth. So here's where we got to, we had to make that um, point because if you thought that darkness in terms of feeling like um, you can't hear God in a certain time or there's a time when there's a lot of tragedy in your life and you feel like there's darkness, if, if you felt like that somehow meant that you were not with God or there was something wrong and you had to uh, quickly go into a positive spot place with lightness because of uh, this scripture, then then I think you're reading it wrong. Um, let's look at six in depth. If we claim to have fellowship with him, so again, this is that same partnership or communion. If we're claiming that, if we're saying that we're together with God and yet walk in darkness, and this word walk Peripateo is used all over the New Testament. It means to live or walk. It's our, the way we conduct our lives. So if we're, we're living um, in a way that has darkness, the same word, moral or spiritual obscurity and dimness, if we do that, then we lie and do not live by the truth. Now this word lie, pseudomo, pseudomoeia, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, it means to willfully mislead or misrepresent. Now, I want to just ask a question about that. Does it say that if we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, that we ourselves are evil or bad? Is that what it's saying? Or does it say that we ourselves are darkness if we walk in darkness? No, it's saying that we're we're being misled. We are, again, in that weird idea of darkness being obscurity, meaning like of an unknowing kind of miasma, that's what's happening when we walk in darkness. Now, it says, then we do not live by the truth. That word live, in some Bibles, maybe yours is, uh, it says does not, do not practice truth. Uh, poeo means to make or do or manufacture and truth is translated most closely to the idea of reality like what's really present and so you can see what this is saying what what part of our lives is a lie when we are in darkness is it that again is the lie that we think we're good and we're not no not necessarily um, or think about this, is the lie, the thing that we're misled about, is that we're in communion and fellowship with God, right? And why is that? Why is that not the reality? Why are we not in fellowship with God if we're walking in darkness? Well, that's because we just said in verse 5, it is impossible for the nature of God in his lightness to have anything dark within him. You could say it in terms of it's impossible for the holiness of God to have anything evil within it. Light and dark, very similar to this. So if we, we are actually walking in this darkness and yet say we're with him, that's an impossibility because God cannot have darkness anywhere in communion with himself. Let's move on to verse 7. 
But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Okay, first of all, uh, these are the same words from above. If we walk, peripateo, like above, in the light, phos, as he is in the light. I, reading this, almost expected to say we have fellowship with God, right? Do you, do you see that? It should almost read, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with God. But what does it say instead? It says we have fellowship with one another. Why do you think John says that? I think because it's implied that if we're walking in the light and the light is God, right? God is light. Then we don't have to say we're in fellowship with him because we're already walking with him. But what it does do is it allows us then to be in fellowship or communion with all of the other people that are walking in the light, all of us. And then he kind of throws in here at the end, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That word purify or cleanse, um, it's removing the filth of all sin, or we could say of darkness, because remember that's what we're talking about. Okay, let's move on to verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. It's important to note that as John's talking about this, if we claim to be without sin, he's talking about before the kind of confessing and cleansing of our sins. So we're talking before the moment of our confession and realization. If we in our kind of infantile state say, oh, me, I have no sin, I, I, I'm, I'm good. Uh, there's no reason for me to be saved or uh, there's no reason for me to repent, I'm good. That's the part where we deceive ourselves. And that word deceive, play no or play no, means to be off course or roaming or wandering or to deviate. So you could say that um, it, it, before we even come to Christ and realize our kind of brokenness and depravity, if we, if we don't think there's anything wrong with us, we're way off course. We're like not even walking in the right area. And the truth is not in us, meaning rea- we're not in reality. Remember, truth and reality are, are very synonymous. So what does then John say to do? Verse 9, so if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's what's great about this verse. If we confess our sins, uh, confess comes from the word homologio. Um, homo meaning the same and logio being that word or voice. So it's saying if we have the same conclusion, if we agree, if we profess our sin, and why is he saying this? Because in the first verse, right before this, he just said if we claim that we don't have it. So if we say, I don't have any sin, we're deceived. So now I say, if we instead say, yes, I know, and I confess, or I'm professing that there is sin, that I know that there is sin, and confess our sins, then he is faithful. It's almost like an acknowledging. If we can acknowledge our sin, then he is faithful and just uh, to forgive us our sins. And this word forgive, aphemi, means to send away or release. So he sends it away, releases our sins, and purifies us or cleanses us from that first word back in verse 7 which comes from the word cath- uh, like cathartic, catharizo, 
And he purifies us from all unrighteousness. A or which is the opposite of goodness and justice. So he basically takes away and cleanses us and and moves that idea of being unjust or uh, ungodly away. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. This last verse of this chapter is pretty stern. So it's that same word it was in verse 8, if we claim, basically if we say or we don't acknowledge that we have sinned, we say we don't need anything, we're good, then what happens? We make him out to be a liar. We literally are acting and calling out God as somebody who is a liar. This is that same word to willfully mislead or misrepresent, meaning <laughs> we are claiming a greater reality than God. Uh, we're claiming that he is a liar. And if a liar, and he, he would be crazy as well, right? Um, and then it says, and his word has no place in our lives. This is that word logos. And this makes sense, right? If, if we don't line ourselves up with God, if we say, oh, we haven't said we don't need him, um, thus he is a liar, making him out to liar, then, then Christ, the logos of God, cannot live in us, right? Then we're going to do our own thing. We're going to be separate. We are in darkness and not living in the light. And that ends uh, chapter one. So now I want to hear from you. What are some things that uh, stood out to you as you read through chapter one? You have some different thoughts, different ideas. Maybe what's uh, the most challenging thing that you read? Or are there um, other versions of the Bible that you want to share how uh, it states things in a, in a more simpler or uh, a unique way. I always love hearing different words from different versions as well. We'll do this again. We'll do chapter uh, two of First John next, uh, but otherwise, thanks for joining, and I welcome any feedback and comments as we kind of muddle through this new way of doing things. Thanks. <laughs>